ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Wildlands Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Cruess Studios and Danube Productions bring you the Conduit. Bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. Today our guests are two founding members of the Grammy-winning music group Ozomatli, Raul Pacheco Jr. and Will Dog Abers. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. The program is about to begin. All right, check, check. Welcome to episode 11 of The Conduit, everyone. A podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today, my guests are Raul Pacheco and Will Dog Abers from the Grammy-winning group Ozomatli. Like Sly and the Family Stone, The Clash, Fishbone, and Public Enemy before them, Ozomatli comes from a long line of musicians who aim to affect change with their music and lead by example. Set to infectious rhythms and catchy melodies, Ozo's sound is a blend of the many cultures found here in our city of angels. But the band has found commonalities in many far corners of the earth throughout their many years of touring, in part as cultural ambassadors for the U.S. State Department. Can't think of better people to do it. Ozo Motley also supported Carlos Santana on his mega Supernatural tour, have worked with Reggae Don, Sly and Robbie, contributed music to the films Happy Feet 2, Elmo's musical Monsterpiece, PBS Kids, and their own amazing kids record, Ozo Motley presents Ozo Kids, and have a new album due out this summer. But above all, Ozo Motley keeps striving to better themselves individually and as a group and I'm lucky to get to talk with two Ozo Kingpins today. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to my conversation with Raul and Will from Ozo Motley. All right, Will Dog, Raul Pacheco Jr., welcome to The Conduit, you guys. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, thank you, Dan. Thanks for having us, brother. Man, I'm so lucky to have you. Thanks for uh, making time in your schedule for me. Um, well, I just want to jump in because I know you guys are busy. Um, I researched you guys a ton and found out all kinds of stuff that I didn't know. Some I already knew, but um, I, I read that um, Ozo Motley comes from the Aztec calendar and is uh, the god of dance and fire and the new harvest in music. And while this all might be you know, accurate, I always look at you guys just overall as a great representation of the cultural fabric of the melting pot that is Los Angeles. And um, that's what I love about your music is like I can hear all the cultures of our city coming through. And uh, I just wanted to talk to you. I know Justin and Emil's family has, you know, deep musical roots going back. And I wanted to know if your either your parents played as well and uh, how music played a part, you know, coming up in your upbringing. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, no, there was no music other than um, there was no musicians in my family. However, yeah. uh, my dad was really into music, um, like really, and he was into political music, um, yeah. so leftist music. So, um, you know, growing up, there was always, uh, you know, Gil Scott Heron, The Clash, um, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Funkadelic, um, anything that, that challenged, you know, the society in a way, like my dad was into that. So that's kind of how I got into music. 
That's beautiful, man. Yeah. I think for me, uh, you know, my family loved music. None of them were musicians. Yeah. But um, they loved music. And so I grew up with a lot of music in the house and a gotcha. lot of different kinds of music. I think I got yeah. into like records very young, knowing who played on what, who wrote this song, who the singer was. But there was a lot of different tastes in my house. So it was kind of a variety of that, but a, a family of music lovers for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting, you know, with guys our generation that grew up with records is we were constantly looking at records and the back credits on records and seeing who played on stuff and then trying to find other records with people who played, you know, those same guys who played because it always meant that the record was going to be pretty good if you had so-and-so playing on it. Were there any particular guys that you looked up to coming up that were just like, oh, man, I see him on this record. I'm getting it right now. For me, I think as a young person, it was like the like the L.A. cats. I just noticed them. And they weren't necessarily people um, I was wanting to emulate. I just noticed, oh, wow, like, like, like this drummer plays on this Boss Gag Records. Yeah. And he's in that band. Oh, and he's actually the dude in Toto. Right. right. You know, like all this, <laughs> like those kind of revelations become... What they do do is you kind of all of a sudden you hear this person's contribution. You can tell, oh, wow, it's on all these things. And that to me is very intriguing, you know, and you hear and then you start to recognize that about other styles of music. Then you go to like Sly and Robbie and then you're like, wait a minute, yeah. they're on all these records and I can hear it. And that becomes something kind of like a magical nuance that's very deep that all of a sudden you're like in this inner thing trying to like. You know, it brings this whole other light to the track, which I, I think that the guys I play with in Ozermali really appreciate that about musicians. You know? Yeah, well, when you find someone like Sly and Robbie who have such a particular stand, I mean, they're, they can mold to any situation, but they have such a signature thing that they do. The minute you hear them, you're like, that's Sly and Robbie. And that's, that's impressive anytime you find musicians who have a particular sound that, you know, you know it's them the minute you hear them. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, we growing up, uh, me and my friends, we were always into bands. Yeah. So, and we, we, we frowned upon the studio musician in a way. Um, we mm -hmm. thought it was uncool and it was like kind of like school nerds. Um, <laughs> that was just like the thing we were in. So like we love like, you know, Fishbone was like the biggest band in the world to us, you know, in, yes, in, in middle school, junior high. And right. um but yeah, as you're getting older and then realizing like Eddie Hazel played on a bunch of stuff, you know, and like it, it became it became cooler the deeper we went with with musicians. But as a kid, it was it wasn't cool to be like a studio cat. Right, right, right. You know, right. yeah. <laughs> well, that's fine. I, I always love talking to LA musicians because uh, you it's know, too much work, man. Too much practice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, L.A. gets a bad rap as being kind of, you know, phony or whatever and Hollywood and all this. But, man, we have a long lineage of musical groups from here, including Fishbone, you guys. Man, going back to X, The Doors. I mean, there's Love. There's so many groups from L.A. that mix stuff up because this, this city is such a, a melting pot of culture. And uh, they really turn it into something new, a new genre, which I think is just the most impressive thing you can do creating something new. Well, man, speaking of, uh, 
LAUSD back when we were growing up had amazing music and arts programs in public school. Did you guys benefit from that? Can you share any stories or lessons you had coming up in LA, LA schools, public schools? Will dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> I think you're pointing, I think you're pointing towards me. Um, yeah, I went, to, I grew up, okay. yeah, I grew up in the magnet school program, man. That's how I got into music. Um, I, uh, started playing trombone in the third, fifth grade. Um, you know, and, uh, so I had some background. I was never the first trombonist, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't a very studious person, but, uh, uh met, many of us, uh, you know, Uli also grew up, he, he, Ulises came from, you know, his dad was a violinist, a concert violinist. Um, so he came from a musical background. However, he's, he okay. was in the magnet school program as well. Yeah. Um, same with Asdrew. Amazing. Um, yeah, I played flute, which did yeah. not stick. I love the flute, but I was terrible at it. I'm glad I found guitar. <laughs> yeah, I went to Euclid uh, Elementary in Boyle Heights, and there was an incredible music teacher, this woman, Sarah Hubbard, who, um, you know, later in life, I remember when she passed in Pasadena, she was part of that, uh, what is that church that's like right in downtown, like the super famous kind of really lefty oh. church that oh. always has a lot of great functions. She was from that church. Okay. And I remember when she passed, it was mm. so many kids from like so many generations oh. who, oh. you know, went to pay their respects. She was a really engaging, encouraging uh, lover of music and wanted to just like give that to anybody who was interested in any way. Oh, and even if you couldn't mm. sing or couldn't play, she'd be like, come on, let's figure this out because you love it. And I think that that was very powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in the school choir. She she told me I should go try out for a boys choir. So she really fueled, um, you know, my musical just love of it, you know, love of, because I never thought I would be doing this professionally. I fantasized kind of about it sometimes, but yeah. Um, yeah. so public school, Euclid Elementary for wow. sure. Yeah, Sarah Hubbard. And what did you start on? What was your first instrument role? I, I was in the choir. Oh, you were singing first, good choir. Yeah, awesome. and I, I, I tried cello in the fourth grade and I gave it up. I wished to, I didn't because I'd love that instrument. Yeah. I, yeah. And I probably would have been a much better musician if I had some of that down, you know. Right. <laughs> no frets. No frets. <laughs> well, man, how do so when did you first pick up guitar? Was that was that your uh, the next instrument? Yeah, I think you know when I was fourteen, you know, just like the neighborhood kids rock and rolling kind of fantasy. Yeah. You know, I loved music so much singing a song with a guitar seemed like a fantasy. And when I, a friend of mine down the street, whose older brother was a really good musician, yeah. Yeah. Um, had a guitar and we started messing around. So we just got our hands on whatever guitars we could really yeah. cheap beat up <laughs> guitars that could break sand tune. And we just tried to learn yep. whatever what we wanted to learn, rock music, blues music, anything we could, figure out right yeah. and he was much better than me like so it was i learned a lot from like just hanging with him that's it that's something uh that's a just a great lesson for anyone trying to learn how to play an instrument is surround yourself with people who are better than you and uh you're going to learn something how did you uh and you're going to sound better too <laughs> at least that's been my plan surround myself with people who True. are better than me it's gonna make me sound better well, you always play beautiful guitar, but selfishly, I want to ask you uh, just about uh, tres. I love it when you pick up the tres in the group, and um, 
I have been trying to learn it over the last couple years and have been humbled by it, uh, to say the least. And um, just interested in your history with the Tres and how it came into, uh, into your orbit. Well, when we started jamming, you know, there, there was an element of this band that was rooted in, you know, kind of Afro-Cuban music and salsa music. And I knew nothing about yeah. it except I loved it, the feel. Music for me, like dance music, I've always loved. Whatever genre, like any yeah. that that would make me want to dance, I've always loved it since a kid. I think that's why I was in the like James Brown when I was a kid and stuff. It just right. the thing got me. Right. So Caribbean music, salsa music, African music has the same important kind of groove oriented bass. And right. in this band, the people were like, "We're gonna play these salsa songs," and I was like, "I have no idea what to do." I have no, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> and, you know, asking, watching, I know piano players played octaves. I, there, we used to play at the Opium Den and stuff like that. I remember I would still be playing my electric, trying to do Montunas on octaves. And I think it was Justin or someone said, hey, there's this guitar called a thress. And so I asked around, not a lot of thress players. Um, and, uh, I just researched it as much as I could and just was open to kind of doing it as best I could. I would say that over the years, my best playing is a, it's hybrid. It's not super traditional. It's like just kind of me trying to figure out and get the, the stresses of the feels correct enough so that I don't, I'm not some in the sure. band with the rhythm. Um, because when I see people who really know how to play it, I just, I'm in awe and I'm just kind of like, staring and yes. trying to pick one little thing yes. up I can take home, you know, basically. That's how it I works got for one me. <laughs> I got one and then my mom, uh, my, you know, you guys know James King, right? Yeah, so Jay, I was like, James, can you make me like, uh, you know, some mixes of like your favorite tres players or groups with, with amazing tres players? And he, and he sent me this song record by a group called La Familia Valera Miranda, I think it's called. And uh, the tres player was just killing. Oh my God. And it just discouraged me there for a little bit and i was like i gotta break it down and learn my basics first so i've been online just learning little bits at a time well what about you will you always come up with amazing bass lines that just propel the song and always catch my ear who are your i heard you you talked about the clash and paul simonon always had great bass lines who were other other guys that kind of shaped your the way you play bass and what still excites you about playing the bass I mean, everybody, man. Uh, uh, you know, Larry Graham. Mm. I love Larry. I love Larry Graham's intensity, um, yeah. just that he puts on the notes. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like, I think I always just tried to copy these cats, like the way they moved, the way they looked when they played was really important, like, um, because that's kind of like part of the feeling yeah. I got from it. Um, and you know, and also like just even like the trauma they're putting behind notes, you know, yeah. from their life is always like really important to me and understanding, you know, they're or trying, you know, coming up. I would come up with stories about these cats, you know, about, you know, like Robbie. I would come up with stories just in my head, you know, listening to him about who he was as a person, you know, and what each note meant to him and how important each note was. And. Um, and so like with Ozo stuff, I mean, I don't think I came up really with like one bass line in on our, like our first record. They're like, they're all like, 
I, you know, I grew up like playing rhythms with my best friend who was a drummer. And so it all, and so I would copy these rhythms of these bass lines that I knew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was really bad at like notes, but I was good at rhythm. So these guys would be like, no, these notes fit, you know, because I would, I would hear like oftentimes, you know, a, a half step away, you know, from the actual fucking key. You know, but but my rhythm was on point. So I'd come up with like these rhythms that weren't really mine. And then I would just kind of add the right notes to those rhythms. Um, And and so, I mean, I still do that. Like, it's still I I don't think I've come up with anything like it's all like (laughs) shit I've heard before. It's such a cool way. It's such a cool way to make it happen. Yeah. 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 Well, because it just locks right in with the rhythm, and that's uh, that's what you want, man. Um, dang. Well, so I wanted to talk to you guys. I mean, many musicians, not just you guys, have you know been on one label and then moved to another, and then moved to another, and kind of the label hustle and deals is just something that I think listeners could really benefit from. Has you guys started on Alamo Sounds and then you moved to Interscope and then you were on Concord for a long time, then Vanguard. And can you talk to our listeners about recording for these different labels and what you learned from each experience? You know, there's a, how, how, how I'm trying to figure out how we just, I mean, we met, we always wanted to play music. You know, so and 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 being yeah. on a label is a vehicle to have an opportunity to create some new music that someone will do right. some administrative work for and like get out there and 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 promote it. And the process is trying to be creative as possible, so it's fun and and it you know it doesn't feel like a drag yeah. and you know because everyone it, it is a business and everyone's trying to make money for their investment. We understand all that. So and I think our our relationships to this day are based on that, you know, like we get together, you know, we have, if we have a reason to create something new and, and we do, and someone wants to, you know, help us put it out and and we have a business relationship that makes sense, then we just do it. I don't think we think too crazy about it. Like in a way of when you're, when you're younger, it's like it, it's almost like you're afraid because you don't know what the hell you're getting into. Sure. At least for me, it was like, okay, well, sure. I guess I'll sign it because, you know, this is what people do. And, and there seems like it's enough right. money to, to keep, to stay a band for a few more years. So let's keep going. <laughs> and, and, in, but there is a lot of learning that goes through that, you know, and over the years, I think if you can pick up things that knowing what questions to ask, knowing what you're really saying yes to. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, we're still doing it. We're still, you know, we're coming out with a record soon, and and that label is yeah. called Blue Milan, and that was a, a relationship that, you know, now things are licensed. We're licensing stuff now, so we've completed it, and then we nice. look for someone. Does anybody want to, you know, give us some money to have the right to make money off this thing? That's how it works, and right. and we try to uh, make a good deal, and and then there's a reason to. Uh, talk about these new songs that we made so i think that's the way it works that's what you want out there listeners is uh license your music to people to put it out own your masters because a lot can go wrong we would like to own uh, our you know first record masters it's been it's been a headache yeah yes yeah i'm sure i'm sure (laughs) 
Yeah, the thing about that, the thing about what Raul was saying about the first album, yeah, is uh, you know we had we 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 got a really good lawyer, um, yeah. you know, and she Lisa Sakransky, she's still our lawyer to this day, um, yeah. but she went through line by line with us, you know, and and even with understanding everything, yeah. you know, I was for me like I was young, but I always I still have. After the day of recruitment, right, Almo, which is now Interscope, mm -hmm. it's 12 years after day of recruitment uh, that we get our masters back legally based uh -huh. on the contract that we, we, still, we, we still haven't recouped the first record. So that gives you an wow. idea. So like I kind of always have that in perspective in my mind, like, fuck, the 12 years hasn't started. Um, we can't. We we can buy it back. There is some like talks there, uh, yeah. buying it back. But so the twelve years for us getting our masters back still has not started. Um, yeah. So uh, even understanding what you're signing, sometimes you know, depending on where you are in life, it's. Uh, I, it's not like I would do it differently. You know, that's yeah. this was a standard contract at the time. Sure. Um, um, and it allowed us to have a career in a exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're signing stuff because you don't have your foot in the door yet. And you want to just get your art out there. And you're right. It was a building block. Yeah, you're, you're, accumul you're making decisions about business partners, you know, who, who you're going to be a business partner with. And that goes all the way to your manager, to your lawyer, to your the label, you know, these people, because the money that's generated from you know, the entity, it gets passed around. So, yeah. you know, so it's like you're, you're, you're making sure that your business, the value of these business partnerships, and some of them are that, some of them are, yeah. it's not about yeah. making money off this thing. At first, it's about all the other energy that it creates that allows us to go around the world right. 20 times and, and play and make, and make money that way. And, and have great experiences. Right, 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 right. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for that. That's good insight for those who are thinking about signing their first deal. Nice, nice guys. Well, um, yeah. I wanted to talk to you guys, too. I know this is something you've talked about a bit before, but um, for our audience, uh, I know since the beginning, you guys have been advocate, advocating for so many causes, farm workers' rights, uh, anti-war stances, immigration reform, but I didn't know that you all met while attempting to form a, work, a workers' union in L.A. And I wanted to just talk to you about how music has been as a platform as far as getting messages across and affecting mm. change. Has it, how do you see that? Has music been a great platform for it? Yeah, man. I mean, every, every movement has artists and music attached to it. I mean, that's yes. just the, you know... You know, uh, James Brown didn't say it's a universal language for nothing. Like, you know, he, <laughs> right. James Brown knows what he's talking about when it comes to music, at yeah. least. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think for us, I, you know, it attached us to a community that, you know, supported us, that gave us, you know, especially for a band that's playing so many different styles of music that yeah. um, we, we, you know, we weren't we weren't really attached to any scene musically. So I think what, what, what doing the politics that we actually believed in from the beginning gave us something to, 
you know, uh, to be a part of that was bigger than us. Right. Um, and there were things that we believed in as well um, and still do. So, uh, yeah, but it's a catch-22 because you're, you're dealing with a... Because even within, within the, the movement, there's many different ideas, you know? It's not... Mm-hmm. Not all the leftist groups believe in everything, you know? There's some that, you know, as soon as we signed that paper, we were sellouts, you know? Mm-hmm. As soon as, you know, others, as soon as we did a, a State Department tour, we were yeah. sellouts. Uh, you know, so you can't you can't please everybody, and um, you also and within our own band, there's different beliefs. Sure. So we you know we have to find what what is our common ground, right. you know, um, and let's support that. Right. Yeah, I think the, the the coolest thing that I felt was, you know, that that at least the ideal of us were. And we still try to practice that to this day was was that everyone's perspective was worth considering, you know, mm-hmm. and worth getting to like an agreement about. So, you know, Will just mentioned, you know, we find what that where we resonate and that's what we say yes and you know, yes or no to. And and it's not as it's a slow process, um, but I think it's why we're still together. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we do that. It, it, it is a place, if you put the energy in it, you can, you, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see some things happen too. And if you don't, you may not be in the, in the decision-making process. But if you're putting energy, you do. And so it, it, it's always been a really enlightening kind of relationship relationship that we have with each other. That's been, in my opinion, you know, when I look at it, which is rare. I don't call, hmm, how does it, how is this? But when I do, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, I think it is unique. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it, I think it's, it's been worth, it's been worth our time, you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. A bit of a rhetorical question, but there's a long line of people who have included um, their, you know, stance on social issues in music for ages from Sly and the Family Stone to Bob and the Whalers to, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, I mean, you know, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down and all that. Um, but yeah. Well, we, uh, you guys were just talking about um, doing the gigs for the State Department, and that was really interesting to me. That's something I didn't know. You guys traveled all over the globe as cultural ambassadors uh, via the U.S. State Department. Asia, Africa, Middle East, Tunisia. I was reading this long list of places you guys went. Out of all these experiences, uh, were there any that opened your, that had big eye-opening moments? And what did you guys learn from these trips? Any specific obstacles you faced in any of these places? Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of experiences, like, it was interesting to be playing in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, like the capital of outer Mongolia, and and a whole bunch of people showing up, like, I don't know, like, literally like 25,000 people it was this old Soviet style square. And yeah. because there's still a large part of that culture that's nomadic, it happened to be in the season when they were back in town, essentially. Mm. Um, to play it's mainly for that many strangers and to be able to rock them and have a great yeah. time and have a great moment and to play with locals, to make them, the band kind of 
more affirmative to what people, you know, might be experiencing so that, uh, you know, there's this connection of jamming with one another with people who are doing, playing local instruments and doing more. So those kinds of moments for me are really important because it transcends like all these differences we have. You know, I mean, we're hanging with a bunch of strangers and and they have they seem to be having a, overall a really, you know, good time or at least fascinated, sure. you know, by what's happening and by this yeah. thing and that we're doing and uh, for us to have the the kind of uh the gumption just be like, "All right, yeah. let's get up there and rock all these people yeah. <laughs> I've always loved that about us like we were kind of fearless in that way and that's so those moments uh, for me were very eye-opening in a, in a good way we transcend yeah, yeah. all of whatever weirdness there might be about the differences we have about geopolitical things about um, and so you know it, it's it's why I play music you know and I think it's why our band plays music and and so those moments for me stand out in, in, in good ways. Yeah. Connecting with people is always a good thing. What about you, Will? Any specific things that you uh, picked up while off in all these beautiful places? I mean, just how big the U.S. Imperial Complex is around this world, man. Wow, it yeah. is <laughs> enormous. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. and just, you know, I think it's just... You know, we would go to places that, you know, were really poor often. See a lot of poor people. And then we would be staying in our, you know, really the nicest hotel in the area. And just, you know, sure. how different because of that uh, that foreign policy that our U.S. has that, that, that allows us to kind of have the shield around this country and live a certain way, even though there's tons of issues here. Um just how easy it can be for Americans to, uh, you know, me included, even with my background, um, can be disassociated from the rest of the world or somehow think that we're somehow, you know, in a way, uh, um, for lack of a, for lack of vocabulary for myself, uh, uh, that we're somehow better or um, than people or smarter or more divine or whatever, you know, that, 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 um, that U.S. Uh, yeah. exceptionalism is that we've been taught, you know? Well, we've been heard, we've heard since we were kids, first world yeah. countries and third world countries. And that just, you know, it is horseshit. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's beautiful, amazing people everywhere. That it's, being, and it's interesting because it's all that is being more revealed yeah. now, you know, in yeah. a way that's, mm. Because of, I think because of the internet, because of how people can communicate, like some of the positive aspects of where you can, you know, you get to see inside a little bit. And yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and, and yeah. there's such divisions everywhere. And I, and I think that that's a human trait, you know, and because right. whatever power, world power is at the top at the moment. You know, they're the ones telling the story. They're the ones right. saying, we're the greatest, can't you see? Right. His story. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, that's a real thing that, that, that we definitely saw too. Yeah. Well, you guys have been on the road nonstop for the last, I don't know how many years, 25 years, 30 years? Yeah, I mean. How long has it been? Yeah. 
for up and comers who are just going out on the road for the first time? What parts of going on the road do you still enjoy and what do you avoid? <laughs> what have you learned I from mean, all your years on you the know, road? We'll all have different answers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know, I'm in a, I've, I've always just liked the action. I've always liked being out there, you know, and right. I think if you, I think it's hard to be in a relationship, right. you know, I think it's hard to have kids. You know, I did that and I wasn't successful mm -hmm. in that. And, you know, those are some of my own choices. But the emotional pulls of that were always something that was kind of internal. Um, yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm the one who now, who's my kids are adults yeah. and not, I don't have, they're doing their own thing. Like, I think this is the first year where, like, you know, they don't call me for things. It's mm. incredible. And they're great kids. And, and, um, mm. So I'm in a different place, so I feel able to. I don't feel that that you know kind of pull. I think that's probably one of the hardest things to deal with, um, yeah. you know. And it's not glamorous either. Yeah. So yeah. if you unless you're super successful, you know. Right. Right. And and uh, we're a working band. We're right. working musicians, and some places you get paid more than others, and you feel the reality of that. But. Um, but I love playing music, so I'm, I'm the same way. As soon as the as soon as I start playing guitar, it's like it's all good. Everything's cool. <laughs> Generally, exactly. The 22 hours of traveling and staying in a hotel and all that is worth the two hours on stage, man. What about you, Will? Anything in particular? I mean, right now, you know, the the travel part. I I like being in the hotel. I get I I've been practicing a lot more. So I get a lot more practice time oh, yeah, and just, yeah. uh, you know, trying to understand my instrument nice. um, where I get, I don't get as much of that at home. So I enjoy that part. Um, I, you know, um, yeah, being in a van all day to get to a show and especially if it turns out to be like a shitty show or, uh, you know, I do ask myself like, why, why, why did I just spend 48 hours of my life to play for, you know, five people who don't care and are eating hors d'oeuvres or whatever, you know? Um, so sometimes I do. However, um, at the same time, man, like, I'm so grateful for all the the touring that we did do. And the one thing, the only, yeah. it's not like I, I wish that, I, yeah, I guess I wish that I was more present, you know? I wish I was, uh, but I was young, you know, and I wish I was more comfortable with myself sure. um, so that I could be more present yeah. in those times. And so that's the, uh, I guess if there's any advice, right, it's just like work on yourself to be more present because you don't yeah. get that, those, that time back, you know, um, right. so you can be more present with the people you're around, um, you know, and that's like the only thing that you know and so now we get to do it now and which is cool and like now like i love rehearse like rehearsing like i want to i wish we could rehearse every day you know yeah like i just <laughs> yeah. i want to be a better band i still want to be a great band like i want to you know i love you were telling me before we started that you recently went back to school and you're learning all kinds of great stuff uh musical stuff in school i'd love to hear about that yeah so does so does raul actually um yeah i when the pandemic happened man like i think the the first six months you know it was it was tough i started focusing on other rev revenue streams and like i started focusing on uh like 
getting composing gigs and getting that going more. Um, and, yep. and that's a super, that was super lonely. You know, I was getting, I was getting gigs and it's just not, uh, you know, you're, you're, I realized, so I'm asking for this and I'm receiving because I'm asking and I'm putting energy into it, but it wasn't fulfilling me in the way that I wanted. And I think I heard, um, I think I was, I was watching my kid, you know, cause my kid, she, she left high school in the, I picked her up her last, she was a senior in high school and I picked her up her last day of school of the pandemic. You know, and seeing her on Zoom and then seeing her transition to Zoomlidge, which is like college on Zoom, and just seeing her like and her constantly talking about being at home and talking about what she's learning. And I just said, you know what, I, I think I should go back to school. She's like, do it. And she kept like asking me, did you sign up yet? Did yeah. you sign up yet? And she would like send me the sign up oh, dates. <laughs> so I just said, fuck it, man. And I signed up at L.A. City College. Um, that was three semesters ago. And um I started taking like piano one. I did two semesters of piano one, and then I did uh, like jazz harmony one and two. And then I and then I was talking to the and I really liked the jazz harmony teacher, but I didn't like the piano because it was like reading. It was all just like reading nursery rhyme notes, like stuff. It wasn't stuff that like I was feeling. And he's like, "Well, I'm thinking about starting this jazz piano class," and I'm like, "Please do it because you're my favorite teacher." I was on a Zoom and he. So anyways, he, I don't think he did it for me. He just did it. So, so this semester I'm taking like jazz piano and it's just, it's, it's just been opening me up more about like just understanding like different notes to create different feelings, which I never understood before. I always knew that it, it was possible, but I didn't know how to do it. And I, I still don't. It's just more like it's just been a challenge and fun. So like I'm writing music now, you know, cause I have to turn in these assignments and it's like stressful and it just, it's getting me into this like cool space of just, um, you know, trying my best to just expand like my knowledge of music. And then I talk to my friends who are like, who grew up in school. They're like, and I'm like, please, can you help me with this? Like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like, they're like, I don't know how I got through that class, but these are like the best musicians <laughs> in the world, you know? And so, right. and so I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I love, I love what you were saying. You were talking about composing and how that can be lonely and you're getting into this class, learning all this new theory stuff. And I think for those of us who play in bands, it's good to kind of step out and try some new stuff and, uh, expand ourselves and then come back and see what it brings to the group. What, um, how are you digging school, Raul? Yeah, absolutely. That's I was waiting for Raul to talk because he's in school too. <laughs> I love it. You know, um, are you at LACC too? No, you know, I, I am back and forth from New Mexico. I have a property in oh, New Mexico right. in Albuquerque. Right, right, right. And I, a friend of mine, I, I didn't even know he was a, he was a mariachi teacher at UNM, oh, University cool. of New Mexico. Yeah. And I said, dude, I got to do this. And there's a guitar in there called the Guitarra de Golpe, which I've always admired. Hmm. I've never, it's a whole other technique, you know, it's a whole other like, and I think the discipline of that music helps me because it's, it's, it's a lot of this, you know, you're having to play very specific stuff with your hand, very specific patterns, very specific feels, and then sing, you know, with a whole other very, specific okay. you have a little bit more room to interpret it with the singing but it's 
it's a it's a good thing to practice and and but I was really into it just because I thought it was cool. I've always admired mariachis. I really respect them because you got to know like two hundred songs, you know. Wow. You show up and you know even quote unquote the worst you know mariachis like they can play their bass off and know all. Usually play more than one instrument. Usually can sing a whole bunch of songs. You know, know them off the top of their head. You can play them all different keys. So it definitely is like a traditional discipline that it that is a it takes a lot of time to get to a level where you can do that so i just thought well i'm just going to stick my toe in here because this is a lot of fun and the class was cool um i was playing guitar that's very unique that not a lot of people play i had to find chord books for it because no one could i couldn't find the chord fingering for it oh, yeah. i found a guy who like had a book i had to track him down and give me that book because i would be reading charts and whatnot and how, i was trying to figure out and I could t- sort of pick through the notes, but you want a lot of open strings, so that in in those types of guitars too. So it's just a lot of stuff that I needed help with. That's always fun. And then, um, and then to be able to sing in a different way, you know, it's a different kind of a uh, singing style. So a lot of body, you know, very uh, powerful, you know, and uh, and you know, even when you sing soft, and so. Um, having that opportunity and I, I did was able to play some gigs and I was the, the first gig I was so stoked because it meant so much to me <laughs> but it meant a lot too because my mother was super into it mariachis oh, my nice. mother passed away maybe like 20 years ago 18, 19 years ago oh, and I remember showing I tell the story once in a while it's funny because I, I, I got a picture of me jamming with Carlos Santana on stage yeah. we toured with him for like on and off for like three years and I'm yeah you know, right next to him. And he, we're like, it was a great photo. I'm like, look, mom. And she was, and she's totally deadpan me and said, when you coming home in a mariachi outfit. So, <laughs> so she didn't give a fuck about it. She's like, that's impressive. But... <laughs> that's cool. But <laughs> so it meant a lot to me to, to, to think about that, about her and just have that moment. So it was, yeah, it was great. So I think it's worth, um, any of us, you know, to put ourselves in situations where we're like, we don't know anything and to kind of like go for it and, and, um, and see what you do. Also remind what you do know. Cause like I was the oldest guy in the class by far, older than the teachers. Um, but super fun, humble, like, no, you know, most people didn't know what band I was in and, you know, and there was a few people who started to know, be like, huh, like, what are you doing here? Like, I'm having fun. And then, and then, but also performing, like, Ozumali, like, we're performers. Yeah. So I'd get up and I'd be singing, like, huh, and all the class would feel that and be like, oh, okay. Like, and the other kid would be like, you know, just learning how to do that and just to get out, just put it out there yeah. and learning, oh, wow, you know, there's things that we all have learned from our different experiences that we can bring into these situations no matter what it is. And it was a great thing, and I hope, I hope to do it again, you know, next oh, semester. That's beautiful. That's It'll be beautiful, the next man. level. Yeah. <laughs> I love hearing these stories of you guys going back and, and just trying to dip in your toe in, like you said, into something new. And I was telling Will before we started that I just was listening to Rick Rubin interview Flea, and he was talking about going back to school in the pandemic, too. And it's just such a common thing with people in our extended scene and just musicians in general. It's like... It's what inspires you is learning something new. You don't want to do the same thing over and over again. You know, that's why we're always buying new records. It's like looking for something that's going to be like, ooh, that chord change is really great. And that melody's different than I would have thought about, you know, doing over this rhythm or whatever. It's, 
constant inspiration, you know, and that's what I think we're all looking for. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm more hype on what I'm doing now, you know, like always I'm all, and I'm yeah. hype on what the next thing I'm going to do. Like, so I yeah. still have that. It's not, you know, but people be like, oh, but your first record was great. Yeah, that was like, <laughs> it's not even me, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. listen to this. Yeah, you I know? I'm grateful people connected with something I did 20 years ago or whatever. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's always about what we're working on right now. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, we were also chatting just about all this beautiful music you guys did. Uh, you guys did music for Happy Feet too, and then this thing, Elmo's musical masterpiece, PBS Kids. I read, and then you did your own record called Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids, and I listened to that for the first time, and it's freaking awesome. That Moose on the Loose one is so fun, and then uh, <laughs> Flip Flap is funky as hell, dude. I listened to that track, and I was like, dang, man, they're crushing it right now. But I wonder how you guys, is there a certain way you approached it as opposed to how you approach the regular Ozomotli records when you go into the studio? I think, I think it, when we started writing those, especially those kids records and, and for the video games we did, I thought it helped our process because we, yeah. it wasn't so much about us together like having to sit in a room and really, really, it was like, hey, who's into this type of style? Go, go do it and bring us back something. Right. You know, and I think that allowed people who never did that or didn't do it a lot to do it more, which I think helped us all. And then, uh, and then also not being so attached. It wasn't like this thing that really represented us to the fullest. It was like, it gave us more freedom to be characters, to play right. different roles, to not worry about what Ozo Motley fans think about, you know, and, and I think that process was actually really helpful for us as writers and how we make music, yeah. And I think it changed a little bit after that. Like there was more of that going after, which I think was it was okay, yeah. Cool, cool. What about you, Will? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, exactly what he said, man. Just it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, mm -hmm. you know, we were – yeah, there was less pressure on us because we weren't necessarily writing music for us. We were writing music for other people. So yeah, we did. We did. We got the PBS. Yeah. I don't know in what order, but I think we got Happy Feet, um, PBS, Elmo, and then we wrote our record, our kids' record. Mm -hmm. So by that yeah. time, we were, you know, we had a little bit more idea of what what we could get away with in the kids' scene. Um, sure. Because we had that, we kind of had some coaching from these, you know, music directors or whatever, you know, that would help us get through it. Um, some of these ideas, but yeah, it, it was definitely freeing. Um, and just to go into that space yeah. and create like another show right. that's the, that's not yeah. an Ozo Motley show, you know, because I've seen other, I've seen bands do kids shows. It's just their show, you know. They might add a song or two, but like we yeah. went. <laughs> we like literally like like the amount of Ozo Motley in an Ozo Kids show is so little, you know. We we like went the completely different direction, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it was just fun. It's fun to do that to be able to do that. If you guys do an Ozo Kids show again, please tell me. I have got to come see it because I bet it's a blast. To Absolutely, come I think we have. I think we have. We have some coming up, but I don't know if they're in L.A. But I'll let you know, Dan. How to promote a kid's show, Mr. Dan Ubeck? Yeah. Get us at Sepanga Canyon, bro. Can we go play at, uh, at In at the Seventh Ray or something? What the? 
Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Get us a gig, man. What are we waiting for? I will. All right. Have, come play at the Theatricum Botanicum. There are tons of kids will come down to that, man. That'd be fun. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk after. <laughs> Dang. Well, so, um, Raul, you brought up earlier, you guys were opening for Santana for like three years. And I wanted to talk to, about that just because, obviously, I'm a huge uh, Santana fan. Grew up on those records, too. And... Uh, that was after your first record that you guys opened for him on his Supernatural tour, right? Which was like his big comeback record. A record wasn't even made yet. We were making it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. We, he had listened to our EP. Oh, wow. Okay. And I don't know how he got it from yeah. his kid, Sal, or someone like yeah. there are different stories and he got it. And I, and our booking agent said he, he called himself. Oh. So it, it moved him. You know, he saw the connection. He saw like where we were coming from and, and uh, got on board. And I still remember the first day we opened up for him at what was then the Anaheim Pond, yeah. which is now like the Honda Center or something. And right. we just walked in on their sound check and he comes with the like, Mr. Real Dog, Mr. Raul. Who are you talking to, Will? He's having a little conversation. <laughs> and he brought us up on stage and we just, you know, we hung out and he just watched the whole set, asked if we wanted to jam with him. We ended up jamming with him that night. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where it started. And it was after that yeah. that he told one of the producers of Supernatural, Casey Porter, who produced two of our records after that. He produced uh, Street Signs and Don't Mess With The Dragon. He did that whole one. Right, right, right. I, I play guitar on Supernatural. Oh, is that right? On a track called Farol. I play okay. uh, mariachi guitar called La Vihuela. Yeah. And a... Um, and a, uh, a harana, which is a, a yeah. guitar from Veracruz yeah. that I got in like Boyle Heights. It's the Chicano version of those guitars. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. Um, and then we, we toured with them for on and off for like three years. Dang, man. So had you guys gotten your whole, I mean, you'd obviously been playing around town for a while. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Had you gotten your whole like drum line through the crowd? Yeah, we did it there. We did it at the Anaheim Pond. We went up wow. on stage, we walked out, we ended up in the foyer like out like and it was cool you know and and i think uh just a kind of a a, a kinship and appreciation for music and musicianship you know yeah. i think we connected over and and a love of like definitely like certain we would turn each other on to music all the time which is cool yeah have you heard this from here have you heard that from here right. you know i remember one of uh um, the the Guti Sons uh, first. Who was the one who was making the first Guti Son that was making records? I knew Femi was the one. We it was Femi. Yeah, he that was he had just made this record that we were all cranking. Oh yeah, and we he's were, amazing. We were, we were actually trying to play it together with his band. Like I oh that. sick. Yeah, we played in Miami once with Femi's band Davies Rhythm Roots All Stars, and oh cool. I was just blown away because the background singers were all singing and playing Shekere yeah. on their hips. I was like, damn. I can't even play Shekere that well and not sing. <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. Wow. Well, so was there anything in particular? I mean, you guys hadn't played shows that big up until that point. Were there any specific things you learned about playing big shows from him? What I, what I noticed right away was that they, they worked on their set every day during mm -hmm. soundcheck. Yeah. They worked on new breaks. They worked on... If there was a song that they wanted to pull out, if there was something they were playing that they didn't like the way they were playing it, they would have full on working sound checks like every day. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. I was like, all right, like, you know, they've yeah. been doing it 
and uh, and they're still working at it, which is that was, I really really liked seeing that with my own eyes, you know. Yeah, I think going back to what we were talking about before is just like that's the reason why so many of us love playing instruments is because you're never you never stop learning. You're always wanting to improve. It's like a lifelong goal that keeps you positive, keeps you striving. And it's good to hear that Santana and his band are the same way. <laughs> Still working at it, man. As good as they are. Dang. Well, um, I know we don't have too much time left before Will's got to bounce. So um, I wanted to talk to you guys about your new record. You guys, I just watched the video for the Sakude song and was just blown away once again by what you guys do. The rhythmic sense, but also just what freaking amazing singers you guys are, man. You and Ash Drew and Ulysses are just singing your butts off on it. And uh, are there any particular singers that you guys looked to when you were singing harmony? Like, was there stuff you practiced coming up? How did you guys learn to sing harmony? I know you were in choir, but the three of you in particular, did you guys do anything? Like, did you have certain songs that you would always just sing at Soundcheck to hone your hone your stuff? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we've always, as a group, we, we were working hard at being better singers, you know, yeah. like together. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, Azure's a really great singer, you know, yeah. and I think that I always have a lot of room to improve. But I've, on this last record, you know, I worked a lot with Carlos over Will's suggestion with Carlos mm -hmm. Weichel. And that was really helpful to kind of Carlos is the man. step into a different kind of like focus, yeah. you know, and that was a... And I and that was helpful and and learning. Um, I think one of the interesting, you know, it's like yeah, you want to be in tune, you want to have a rhythmic sense that fits in the track, but you like anything else, you want to be you. Yeah. You know, and how do you do that with whatever skills and limitations you have? How can those right. work? And also how how not to be um, like. The, the importance of, of some sort of style that you yeah. know is your own. That's not perfect rote singing, but something that Personality. is emotional. And yeah. and so I think, you know, each like anything else, each situation calls for different things. And so for for me it's like I I have to feel connected to what I'm singing because if I don't sing it perfectly, I I feel like it comes across. Yeah. You know, like it's like it, it, it and because I feel it. You know, when when I'm in that place, like the crowd is, they're with me, yeah. and and it's if it's a song that they want to sing along to, it's so easy to just get it all going. So, I think that's what I try to do. And when we're together singing, we're still working hard at how to make it as good as we can be. Yeah. Right. Well, talk about the new LP. Sakude is a single from the new LP. Yeah. When can we expect the new LP? Uh, talk to us about that with our last few minutes here. You. What's the date? I believe it's so... July nineteenth. July nineteenth. <laughs> believe. Okay. July. Let's say July. We started nice. this record at so a place called Sonic Ranch a few years ago with David Garza, yeah. which. Oh yeah. I love that place. I go there often. Um, I think David pushed us to really work on to be better songwriters you know i think that's his strength you know in terms of what he does and 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 uh, i really enjoyed that process with him i always i always care about that the songs are solid like i don't even care if i like the song that much but if i can step away and go this song is a good song like it's written well the lyrics are good like the changes are good like and it's not about 
and complexity all the time. Uh, but if that piece of music to me it fulfills those requirements, I'm super stoked. And I'm like, good. And I feel really good about this record. I feel like we really worked hard at, at doing that. And so I feel good about it and actually pretty proud of it. I'm, I, I can't wait to hear it. If uh, the single's any indication, I'm sure I'm going to love it, man, because the single's beautiful. Really, really good. And I was just talking yesterday, I was interviewing Bernie Grudman, the mastering engineer, and he was just talking about how his main job is bringing out the emotional pull that the song has on listeners. And I think, you know, with regards to your playing and your singing or anything, the thing that I think should be the ultimate goal to achieve is just emotion, getting people to react to the emotion of it, to connect to it. And uh, that's something you guys have always done. So thank you so much for all the music all these years. And thanks for your friendship, guys. And thanks again for coming on. So appreciate you taking the time with me today. Just make a track, Dan. Okay, I'm yeah. in, man. I'm in. You don't have to ask I me did twice. hit you up about producing Ozo. So any time, yeah. You Let's guys get in the studio. I will be there. Have some fun. Oh yeah. Super, super down. Yeah. Well, good luck today, uh, Will and Raul. Thanks so much for coming on, man. And uh, I'll see you guys real soon. Love you both. Right on. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Later. All right. All right, guys. Take it easy. Peace. All right, hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conduit. The Conduit is brought to you by Crew S Studio and DanYubeProductions.com. Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We Edit Podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Sure, and Avid. Extra special thanks to my brothers from other mothers, Scott Power and Bill Coulter. And last but not least, go check out Soul Pitman, my hand-picked music playlists on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubik, signing off.